Grab your seat. My name is Dave. So glad that you're here on this Sunday evening. Feels like night, doesn't it? It gets so dark so early. It's not. It's the evening. We have an evening service here at Sedaris. Hey, if you've got a Bible, would you uh, open it up to Ephesians, the book of Ephesians? If you don't have one, you, you could probably find one in the seat back in front of you. You could also look it up on your phone, Google Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 1 once again, and the plan was to be in chapter 2 today, which everyone was excited. And then I just saw something in chapter 1 that I thought I had to talk about, and you'll see why that is. Feel free to use the table of contents in the front of your Bible if, uh, if you need to find what page Ephesians is on. I use it all the time. There's no shame in that whatsoever. Uh, we are spending, I think this is our fourth week. Is it our fourth or our fifth week in Ephesians? Hard to know. Hard to know. So, would you pray with me as we come to God's Word? Father, we... We're so thankful for you, for your blessings in our life. We, we thank you for this church and these people, this place to gather with the roof over our head that we can come and proclaim your word and study your word, consider your word together in community that we don't have to do that on our own in isolation. So we thank you for this place and this time and for the truth that you're about to pour out on us. We pray that we would have the energy to to see and to hear what you have to say to each of us today. I pray that you'd give me wisdom as I speak, clarity, conviction. And I pray that we pray would be, we'd be all blessed by your word today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So, have you uh, ever struggled with Thanksgiving? A few years ago, I, uh, I kind of got on this kick, and, and I do it at Thanksgiving time, but I also do it any other chance I get. Like when it's my birthday, I force people to kind of share intimate thoughts around the dinner table. And, and what's interesting is that um, it's really hard for people to share at Thanksgiving. Do you ever do this? Do you ever share around the table what you're thankful for? Well, what I've found is lots of times, uh, the first personal share and it usually goes something like this. Well, you know, I'm, I'm so thankful for um, my family. And that's a good thing to be thankful for. Uh, and then it usually stops there. And then the second person goes and says, well, you know, I'm a lot like the first person over here. I was thankful for my family. And then the third person goes, well, I'm pretty much like everybody else. And by the time you get to the fourth person, it's completely devolved and every, no one has anything else to say. This is how it's gone for me. I don't know if you've had this experience, but sometimes I think, I don't know if it's our culture or the times we live in, but we have a hard time with thankfulness, and we have a hard time showing that, uh, and usually the things that we're really thankful for are oftentimes material blessings, though those are not bad things to be thankful for. Usually, as Americans, we get thankful for the stuff in our life. And then we struggle. We struggle to see the good. We tend to be able to focus on the bad. 
the things that we don't yet have. That seems to be the way of our culture. I think it's not just our culture. I think it's the way of mankind for all time. In the garden, Adam and Eve had everything they could want, but yet they wanted the one thing God said you cannot have. We can be that way. And so it can be hard to give thanks because we can't stop thinking about the things that we don't yet have or the things that aren't quite perfect in our lives. Now what's interesting as we come to this passage today, we're going to see Paul talk about giving thanks. And actually, um, what you'd expect me to do, because I do it sometimes, is, well, let's study the Greek and the Hebrew word for thanks and see what that has to say. Now what's interesting is there's not actually a perfect word in the Hebrew or the Greek for thanks. We translate it that way in our book, but there's no perfect translation for this idea, or at least the way we tend to think of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving being um, that other side of getting something that we want. The word actually is a closer translation to the word praise. Praise. That's what true thanks is in a biblical sense. When you give thanks, does it feel like praise to you? Or does it feel like obligation? Maybe you're just not sure. But as I saw this, I thought, when do I give thanks and it feels like praise? Think about that. Around the dinner table this week, if it felt like as you went around the table, it wasn't struggling for the words or things to be actually thankful for, but it felt like praise. And, and you, couldn't even, you couldn't hold people down. The people that could really sing at the table would just start singing out loud. The people that could dance would just start dancing out loud because they're so full of praise for the things in their life, for the people in their life, for God in their life. But we don't do that. We don't praise. It's pretty muted. I struggle with this, as many others do. And here's why I think that happens. I think it happens because for most of the things in our life, we think that we deserve them. We think there's nothing special about us getting them because we deserve them. We worked hard for them. Because of the kind of person we are, this is the things that should happen. So we're not that thankful. We don't give praise because we deserve them, right? And what's interesting is I think we often do this with our salvation as well. We think we deserve our salvation, that it's somehow something we've earned, something that we have caused to happen in our own life. The problem is the Bible, and it tells us we don't deserve it. We are not the cause. It is not our works built up to salvation, but it's something far different, and we've been studying that for the last several weeks in the first chapter in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians written by the Apostle Paul while he was in prison in Rome. While he was in prison in Rome, writing to a church that he helped to found in Asia Minor in a town called Ephesus. And what we'll see here today is that he was full of thanksgiving. 
for those people in that church and something very specific about those people. So would you look at me, with me at Ephesians 1, starting in verse 15. Paul, the apostle, with the authority of God, writes this. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. Let's break this down. Starting with these first words, for this reason. Anytime you see this in Scripture, you know to look at what happened right before it, because that is the for this reason. And what we'll see, and, and you can go back and listen to these uh, sermons if you, if you were not able to be there, is that God has this cosmic plan, which he has chosen at the beginning of time, so that us, as his created, could be in relationship with him, the creator, despite our rebellion, our turning our back on him, and our sin. And he knew this all beforehand. This is God's plan. And the way he accomplishes this, to make real relationship possible, is through his son, God the Son. And it says, in him, all of this will happen. Creation happens through him, redemption happens through him, and the uniting of all things in the end will happen through Jesus. And Jesus, as we know, comes, dies on the cross to take our place, absorbing the wrath of God, and then he rises three days later to prove that death and sin no longer have reign in God's creation, and that anyone who, who is in him, that is Christ, can be brought back into the people, the family of God. Now, we also saw that the way this plan is applied then to the individual is through the hearing of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and the believing of the individual. I believe the gospel. I believe what Jesus has done for me. I believe that he's died for my sin. I believe that he's risen from the grave and that I have faith in him. I'm putting my trust in him and nothing else for eternal life. That when that happens, the Spirit of God seals the believer for all eternity. And there's no falling away. There's no losing your salvation. You are changed and you begin to experience new life. There's fruit from the Spirit of God. This is all that has happened to this point in Ephesians. This is amazing news, and we've, we're given insight into it by God himself. He tells us this is what's happening. And then he says, for this reason, I, uh, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith, 
in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Here's what's happening. Paul is saying, guys, this is the cosmic plan of God. He is creating a new people who are united to him through Christ, sealed by the Spirit. And I've heard somebody told me that you believe, which means you're part of those people. And when I heard it, I couldn't stop. And I haven't stopped giving thanks for you. I have not stopped thanking God that he has brought you into his people, that you are now my brother and my sister. Do you see what's happening? Paul is saying, guys, you might not even know this yet, but what you've been brought into, when I heard of your faith that I knew that you were a part of this new people, I literally could not cease giving thanks to God for you. I can't believe it. You're a part of his grace. Every time I pray, I remember you. And I thank God. That's what's happening. When I heard of it. Now, think of this. The Apostle Paul has left Ephesus and he's in Rome. He's in a different country. He's far away. And when he gets word of those whom I'm sure he knew by name, in person, that they've come to faith, he's filled with joy. Even though he's far away. Even though he wasn't right there when he got to see them coming to faith. New faith is the most exciting thing. And we give thanks. This is why we make such a big deal of baptisms at Sedaris. Because it's a reenactment of this process of dying with Christ and being raised with Christ and coming to new faith. It's why personal testimony is so important and it's so powerful as people explain what has happened to them, how they've been brought into the fold of God by God himself in Christ through the Spirit. It's so important and so powerful to share your testimony. So important, so powerful that I've decided to pause, take a break from me, and I'm going to bring up somebody who's just recently, within the last month, come to faith in Jesus and has been changed by the Spirit. And everything up to this point in Ephesians 1 is related to her. And when I heard of it, I could not stop giving thanks. So I'm going to bring up my friend Chinny to share with us about her faith. Miss Jenny, how how are you? I'm doing all right. Good. Look. Coming from like a mile away. Nobody saw that. No, no. That I see how I teed that up. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you hear yourself in this text. Everything that that Paul talks about, 
Um, I know I've seen it in you, that, that, that's, that there's been a change in you. Would you just kind of share with us some of the story of how you ca- uh, went from here to there? Yes, um, okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how many of you guys know Laura. She used to be like, sorry. <laughs> Clearly new at this. Um, yeah, I don't know how many of you know Laura, but she used to be pretty <laughs> Do you want me to hold this so you can talk oh. with your hands? Okay. <laughs> Um, <laughs> no, just hold it, okay. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how many of you know Laura. She used to work here. Um, she's my best friend. She's in DR right now doing the Peace Corps and stuff. But I, came, I became friends with her in college. She's been a Christian for a really long time. And we just, we had a really, really good connection. I wasn't a Christian, she was. And we always had really deep conversation. And everything flowed super smoothly. Until probably about a year, year and a half ago, we hit... Um, there was like a little bit of a roadblock in a lot of our conversations. I felt like there was a little bit of disconnect and I felt like we didn't see eye to eye on a lot of topics. So, and I felt like a large part of that was because I didn't understand her faith. I didn't understand someone's willingness to believe in God. And I was like, you know what? I wanna understand more about my best friend. I love her, I wanna see where she's coming from. And so I came to church with her. I started about a year ago at Sedaris and it was an eye-opening experience. Like, I think the first day I came in here, I met, like, 10 people whose names I didn't remember, but all of them gave me hugs, and they were super welcoming and kind and awesome. And at first, I was like, why are these people being so nice to me? Like, this is really weird. And, like, I spent the year trying to figure out, like, what's wrong with them? Why are they being, like, like, <laughs> like there has to be a reason that everyone's being so nice. And I eventually just came to the conclusion that you guys, me now, there's a strength that comes from believing in Jesus Christ. and. About a month ago, I decided to take communion. It was super duper emotional. Uh, Laura wasn't here. Megan, who's also another one of the girls I normally come with, she wasn't here. Dave wasn't here. No one was here. It was just me. Like, <laughs> it was just me. And I went up and I took communion and I was super scared walking into it. And the moment I did it, it was so beautiful. Like I, I cried like happy tears. I was a mess. I was honestly like, <laughs> it, was, it was really, really nice. And I don't know, I just feel so much more at peace. I spent so long being a skeptic not a skeptic, but doubting. I wanted to find every flaw that Christianity had to offer. I wanted to solve every single problem that it had. And eventually I realized that there's never gonna be a perfect time to accept Jesus. And once I decided that, I feel like I felt a lot more at peace with my life decisions and it's been really good. And no one tells you how much bread you should eat when you take communion for the first time. Like, that was really weird. Like, I stuffed my face. Like, I don't know. I feel a lot better about a lot of my choices. Anyway, that's my story. Could you share real quick, because you shared this with me on Saturday, uh, about, you said something that just has stuck with me, about you never thought you'd be the person who would say certain things, and now you can't stop saying this certain thing to... Friend, uh, your, your friends, those who are Christians, those who are I not Christians. I love Jesus. That's something that I never, like, I feel like a giddy teenager who's had, like, their first crush right now. And I love saying that. Like, apparently I'm in the honeymoon phase. Apparently I'll get over it and I'll stop saying that, like, in appropriate situations. But I love Jesus. And that was something I never thought those words would ever come out of my mouth. And it's such a cool, beautiful thing to say. I want to scream it, like, loud and proud. And I love Jesus. It's, it's yeah. nice. <laughs> it's cool. <laughs> But, yep, I told you that in confidence. <laughs> <laughs> there, no, there were four other people at the table, so I felt like it was a public okay. <laughs> a proclamation. Right. Yeah, and, and, you know, we, we, we told you this. You know, we're like, that's such a weird thing. Like, because I know so many Christians 
who don't proclaim that they love Jesus. And I think what it shows is that when you first encounter Jesus Christ and he gives you his spirit and he changes you, you realize it's the greatest thing that there ever could and will be. Immediately after taking communion that first night, I was so happy. Like, I was on top of the world. And I woke up the next morning, and I was like, I was having, like, pre-wedding jitters with Jesus. Like, I felt like I felt normal again. I was like, is this weird? And I talked to Dave, like, immediately after, and he was like, no, the ups and downs are part of Christianity. Like, you're not always going to feel his presence, but you should always be striving to find it. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I love that it's an ongoing journey, and I love that I'm still working things out. And, yeah, it's yeah. cool. I like it. Amen. It's my Amen. Chinny, <laughs> can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? Okay. Father God, we thank you for this woman, this woman who you've been pursuing for quite some time now. We thank you for people like Laura that you've used that are just in- instruments of your grace in Chinny's life that we get to be a part of now her growing and understanding more and more about your grace, about your goodness, your mercy, your love. And we just pray that we would come alongside her support her, that she can continue to ask her questions uh, of us, that we can serve alongside of her, uh, and that we can just be a family together with her. So we love you, Jesus. We thank you for what you've done in Chinny. We know that it's by your loving, powerful grace alone that she's been brought into the family of God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. That is awesome. We're low, we're low budget, but high tech. Low budget, but high tech here at Sedaris. Everybody knows that. Everybody's talking about it, yep. So here's the deal. We should all be giving thanks for all those in our life who have faith in Jesus. We should all be giving thanks for every single person. Now here's the problem. Sometimes we don't give thanks for all those who have come to faith in Jesus. And here's why. Here's why thankfulness is the only response. And here's why sometimes we don't give thanks. Thankfulness is the only response because it recognizes that we had nothing to do with it. You could hear it in Laura. And I love that she recognized it right away and wrote in her journal. She hadn't shared that with me, actually. That she just wrote, thank you, God, for doing this. Because no matter how involved we are, and I guarantee, Laura has shared with me so many times. She used to be on staff here at Sedera, so we'd have many meetings where it would turn into her pouring out her heart for her friend Chinny. We'd pray for Chinny. But she knows it was not her prayer or her ability to answer questions, but it's the grace of God. And sometimes we don't give thanks because we don't realize that that is what's happening. That it's God moving on his own, in his own way, and we just get to be participants in that process. So when we recognize that, when we remember that, when we realize 
that God didn't need us, but he chose to use us. That's our gift. And so we say thank you for allowing us to participate and thank you for saving our friends, our family, our loved ones. And then the second reason that we don't give thanks as we should is because we don't fully understand what's happened, right? Sometimes we think, well, I'm just so glad, you know, that, uh, that Chinny has found a community that, you know, she can really uh, have friends in. Have you ever heard this? I'm so glad that you found that thing for you that gives you meaning and purpose. We do this, even as Christians. We don't understand the magnitude of what's happened, which is why God gives us Ephesians chapter 1. He's saying it's not just that they found friends. It's not just that they found a good community. It's not just that this keeps them out of trouble. It's not just that this makes them a good moral person. It's not any of those things. It's that they have gone from being outside of the grace of God, outside of the family God, outside of the inheritance of God, and now they are inside all of those things. And do you see how if we have the wrong picture or the wrong scope of what's happening when someone comes to faith, our tendency is not to be as thankful as we should be. So we have to understand grace. It is not by works that we are saved, but by the grace of God. And that grace is incredible. The magnitude of it, the scope of it, the change from darkness to light, from death to life, from eternity without God to eternity with God. It's incredible. Thanks be to God. Now, I have to be honest, um, I thought, man, there would be a great time to talk about a personal example of a friend of mine coming to faith, but that's not what popped into my mind. It was Chinny and Laura, and part of that is because, to be honest, I'm not as involved as I should be in helping people come to faith in Jesus. Now, there have been people that I've had the honor and the privilege to get to be a part of that with, but it can be few and far between. And I'm just taking a guess that that's probably a lot of us in the room, that we don't have a story that just pops into our mind in the last year, in the last two years, in the last three years, of someone who has gone from no faith to trusting and saying, I love Jesus. Why don't we see this more? Here's the problem. We have forgotten about evangelism. We've forgotten the Great Commission. We've forgotten that the Lord Jesus sends us into the world like he was sent into the world. And we tend to believe that he's no longer working and saving people. Well, that's just not true. It's happening. We're just not participating in it. We have to figure out a way to get involved again in evangelism. Evangelism is sharing the gospel telling people about Jesus, helping them to consider the truth of Jesus. 
wrestling through it with them. I love Chinny's story. She told me, I don't know if I'm a good candidate for this story. It was five years of considering for me. I said, you're the perfect example because it's long-suffering with one another, helping each other work and process through, and there's a lot to work and process through, oftentimes, before we can surrender and come to faith in Jesus. So we have to be in it for the long haul. We have to be intentional about it. We have to be honest about when we're not doing it. I do not believe you can be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and not be on mission to share the gospel with those who do not yet know it. Know it. Believe it. Surrender to it. So, if I had you write down right now the chinnies in your life, how would that go? I'm not trying to guilt you into evangelism. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. What I'm trying to do is just say, we need to move this to the top of our priority list. We need to do that as a church. We need to do that as individuals because this is part of what it means to follow Jesus' example. So one of the ways that we can do this, and this is something that Chinny herself participated in last spring, is something called Alpha. Alpha is a 10-week course about the basics of Christianity. Uh, Why is faith important? Who was Jesus? Why was the cross necessary? What does it look like to have faith? How do I pray? What is the Bible? Why do I participate in the church? Who is the Holy Spirit? How does He work? These are some of the questions that we ask, and and the way it's presented is in a very non-threatening way. We have dinner together, and, and, and we're doing this uh, Alpha course. You can do it anywhere. Uh, it's been done by 27 million people around the world. Uh, started by a church in London. So the guy has a British accent, and you always believe people with British accents. They just sound smarter than us, okay? Don't know why we got rid of that. It's a story for another time. Should have kept that accent, but Alpha, we're going to do it down at the Rainier Brewery. There's an event space down there. It's where we did it last spring. It's a lot of fun. You sit around a table, eat a meal, uh, watch a talk, and then you discuss the talk. Now, this isn't the only way to do evangelism, but maybe you have those friends where you struggle to start that conversation of faith. This is a great chance. Alpha will be starting up January 16th. And every Monday night, we will be talking about some aspect of what it means to have faith. Highly recommend it. Ask around. If you're interested in this, talk to me. This is something that we all need to be doing. Now another thing. In your bulletin, you saw this card. Pull this card out. Yellow card. This is... The art of neighboring. And I actually, you know, amazing how God works because this was the passage I was working on this week and then I went to a church planting network conference that I participate in and would you know, the conversation was about the art of neighboring. And we did a little exercise where we, they asked us to uh, think of our house here in the middle and name all of our neighbors. I've been in my house for a year and a half, and I only know the names of two of my neighbors. 
and I was convicted. Oftentimes as a pastor, what I say to myself is, you know what, I've got enough uh, people to deal with at the church. It, it's tough because I don't get to, to know non-Christians in the way I did when I was a, an accountant. Um, man, that's tough for me. And yet, all around me, there's people living a stone's throw from me who do not yet know of Jesus or his gospel of grace. So you say, well, here's my problem. I just don't know of anybody. I just don't hang out with anybody that's not a Christian. Well, try to fill this out. We're coming up to Thanksgiving and then to Christmas, and there's a great opportunity to use cookies as a way to know your neighbors. Nothing wrong with that. Get to know them, that you might at least be able to fill this out and know who your neighbors are, whether you're in an apartment or a house. Know your neighbors. Know them. Start relationships with them. And who knows how long it might be. It could be months, years, decades before maybe you get to have a conversation with them about Jesus. But it starts with getting to know them. The art of neighboring. We may do a series on this in the summer. It's so important. There's a great book called The Art of Neighboring. If you'd like to just read it. What does it mean to know our neighbors, to love them well, in the hopes that you'll develop a real relationship with them. That's the hope, a real relationship. And then hopefully anybody that you're having a real relationship with, you can't help but at some point get to talk about the person that you love most, Jesus Christ. The final thing I'll say about this is, uh, you notice we have extra chairs in here. Did you notice that? Well, I decided... Um, this morning, there was Harvest Sunday. If you help volunteer with Harvest Sunday, would you just stand up real quick? I just want to thank you. Stand up. If you helped with Harvest Sunday, which is we fed uh, the homeless, thank you guys. Can we just give them a round, yeah, round of applause? Yeah. I just want to acknowledge that, you know, you guys gave up your, your Sunday morning. Some of you gave up Saturday. Uh, if you helped set up on Saturday, would you stand up? Not everybody stood up. Stand up again, setting up for Harvest Sunday. There we go, all right. Okay, so that's lots of us, okay? And Harvest Sunday was great. We had probably around 100 people in need here getting a meal, getting sleeping bags, coats, socks, hats, um, toiletries. Um, it was awesome. Um, and all the congregations uh, that use this building, there's five of us, um, also right before did a, did a service in here. Uh, I guess besides our congregation, but there were some of us um, here, and so there was lots of chairs out, and I said, let's just leave those out, and we actually took away two rows in the back, but the reason I wanted to leave them out, and the reason why, you know, we could just take away all the chairs, we could figure out what our average number is, and only leave those chairs out, so that every week it feels like we are packed out, and this thing is happening, and yeah, I don't, I don't, I probably shouldn't invite anybody, they'll have to sit on the floor, but I want to say, leave these chairs out. And we've got more chairs in the balcony. And it's not about building up our church numbers, but it's to say, look to your left and look to your right. There are spaces here that can and should be filled with people who do not yet know Jesus or, are who, not, or who, who are not yet serving him and worshiping him as they were created to do. Who are those people? Look around. 
lots of seats, lots of space for them here in this community and other communities around our city. So evangelism is so important, and it's so important to Jesus. It's why he came, and it should be so important to us. And unless we get in the habit of sharing our faith explaining, working with people through there, we will never experience the thankfulness that Paul experiences here, that Laura and others who know Chini have experienced, that many of, of us have experienced, but maybe it's been a while, the joy, the sheer joy of seeing someone come to new faith. Will you join me in that? Will you join me in being that kind of church that doesn't just settle for reshuffling the deck of Christianity, but we're helping people who are not yet followers of Jesus follow him. That's what we need to be about, so that we might join Paul when we hear of their faith and their love towards all the saints. Do not cease giving thanks. And I would just say this. Don't cease to give thanks as well for those in your life who already have faith. That's a perfectly, in fact, it's an imperative that you do that. I never understood this fully until my sister Kim died. I never once thanked God for her faith until after she passed away. Because I acted as if death were just this distant thing that wasn't coming for all of us. And so I didn't stop to think, praise God, thank you, God, that my sister is sealed by your spirit. This Thanksgiving, thank God for every person in your life who knows Jesus Christ as their Savior. And pray for those who do not yet know that, that they would come. Now look at this with me again. Because Paul doesn't just stop by giving thanks and remembering them in his prayers. Verse 17, he says this. He says, I'm remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, who gave you, will give you the spirit of wisdom, of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the unmeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? Now, wait, 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 wait. I thought they already believed. Why do they need to be enlightened? Why do they need to know about the hope? Why do they need to understand God's power? Because it never stops. Even after we believe, we pray that they would know more and more and more of the massive grace that has engulfed them. He says, I keep asking God to enlighten your minds, to give you wisdom. I keep asking, and he'll never stop asking. And we should never stop asking, even after people come to new faith. Because it takes a lifetime, it takes a million lifetimes to fully grasp and to appreciate what has happened when we come to faith. So we keep asking. This is our spiritual growth. We keep asking for spiritual growth. So with Chinny, we'd say, 
Praise be to God. Thank you, God. I don't cease to give you thanks. Now, God, please enlighten her mind. Give her wisdom. Help her to understand the inheritance. This is her sanctification. This is her spiritual maturity and growth. This is what we continue to pray for. And we pray specifically that she would know God better, that anyone who comes to faith would know God better, which is to say to have more hope in God's call on your life. Paul says that. That you would understand the calling that you've had. That you understand that God called you out of darkness into light. That you didn't work your way, but you were called out of it. More hope in the great inheritance which is to come for those who believe. You feel like people don't understand the inheritance to which they've been promised in Jesus? Do you not understand the inheritance? I pray for you that you would understand the glorious inheritance in which you hope and which you trust in. And more hope, we pray for this, more hope that you would know the power of God. Paul says all three of those. The power of God. You felt it in part. Now I want you to know how much more powerful he is. Don't stop. This, I, I'm, I'm guilty of this. We do this all the time. And we do it in other areas of life too. But particularly in our faith. Other areas might be, you know, I, I do premarital counseling all the time with people, but I never do postmarital counseling. Shame on me. And so as I was studying this week, I texted one of the couples I'd done premarital with. I said, Let's do some postmarital because it doesn't stop after the wedding day. That's not the end. That's the beginning. We do this when we're so thankful that someone got a job. Oh, I'm so thankful that you got a job. Now I'm going to stop praying for you. You've got it now. You've got the job. Wait a minute. I have no idea how to do the job. Jobs are really hard. Bosses often are terrible. So keep praying for me. I know I got the job. I'm thankful, but keep praying for me. We do this when people get degrees. Like a degree is going to fix their life. Yeah, I'm thankful that you got the degree, but I'm going to keep praying for you that you're able to apply that and you find opportunities. We do that when people have kids. I'm so thankful to God that you have a child. And then we never think about their child again. We just think, oh, they'll probably raise themselves. No big deal. <laughs> keep praying. Keep pressing in. And we do this when people come to faith. Ah, oh, good. Now I don't have to talk to Chinny anymore because she's come to faith. She's got it now. No, I'm praying for your enlightenment, Chinny. I'm here. We'll, get, we'll continue to get coffee. Come to Alpha again. You're going to come to Alpha again. I know you are because you came to the meeting and you're going to invite some friends. Keep pressing. Keep going. Pray for enlightenment. It doesn't stop with coming to faith. It's just the beginning of your life with Jesus. Hmm. And you know what happens when people continue to grow, continue to mature, we can be more thankful. And our thankfulness for them doesn't stop. 
We continue to be thankful. God, thank you for continuing to show them your goodness and your grace. Thank you for continuing to help them mature and grow in Christ. Thank you for the work that you're doing through them now. So we get to participate in all of it and be thankful for all of it. When's the last time you thanked God for saving you? When's the last time? We should thank God every day that he's changed us, that he's showed himself to us, that we've heard and believed the gospel, that he's sealed us with his spirit. When's the last time you thank God for saving you? I hope that our church can become a church not of transfer growth, not of stagnation, not of, well, we can get by, we've got enough people to keep going, but that we're a church that is thriving because we are alive with the Spirit as new people are coming to faith. People that five years ago we thought never would have known and said, I love Jesus, that are now in love with Jesus. Let that inspire us to keep going and press out on mission for Jesus. And here's how it starts. Think about this. I've got this great book that I read to Grayson. It's called Alfie Wants Cookies. It's a great book. And Alfie's mom bakes some cookies. And Alfie loves cookies. And so he tries to grab a cookie. Uh, Alfie's mom says, think of a better way, Alfie, to get a cookie. So Alfie goes into uh, the coat closet and puts on a coat and gets a, a, a briefcase and puts on a mustache. Uh, by the way, Alfie is a baby alligator. And <laughs> walks out and writes a cookie inspector <laughs> on his shirt. And then his mustache falls off. I'm sure his mom already knew, but it's like, no, Alfie, think of a better way. So, of course, what Alfie does is he climbs up a tree, and he gets a fishing pole, and he uh, drops the fishing line into the window, and he's got a cookie on the line. Ah! Alfie's mom grabs the cookie. Think of a better way. So Alfie decides, well, I'll just make my own cookies. And so he gets some construction paper, and he cuts them into some circles, and he starts eating uh, the paper, and he realizes this is a terrible cookie. And he's beginning to cry. And his mother comes up to him, and he says, uh, she says, Alfie, can I please have a cookie? And Alfie says, yes, Mom. And he realizes it. And he says, Mom, may I please have a cookie? And she says, why, yes. And he says, thank you. The reason we don't get to say thank you very often is because we don't ask please. We need to start asking God, please, save my friend. Save my brother, my sister, my mother, my father. Save my boss, my coworker, my classmate. God, please, please save so that when he does, we can say thank you. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are humbled 
our gratitude for your grace in our lives bends our knee. We don't know why you sent Jesus Christ, your Son, into the world to save us. We know we're not worthy, but you said, not because of what you've done, but because of who I am. Help us to know that and remember that, and may our hearts be filled with thanks this holiday season. May we, if we're asked the question, what are we thankful for? May we be quick to say, my faith in Jesus, my friend's faith in Jesus, my sister's faith in Jesus. May we give you glory this Thanksgiving as we remember what you've done for us before the foundations of the world, on the cross of Christ, in the resurrection, and by the sealing of the Spirit when we believe. May we give thanks to you for the rest of our days. In Jesus' name, amen.